Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Welcome to another episode of Business Black Belts. I'm Dave Golding. I have the pleasure of being here with Jake Flores. He's Vice President of Drone Sales at High Tech Commercial Solutions. How's it going, Jake? It's good. It's exciting times. It's, uh, it's fun to be in the drone space right now. It's in its infancy, but everybody's coming out with, with new things, new features, and uh, we're all fighting against the Goliath, which is DJI out of China. And uh, we're all working hard to have some creative solutions towards, uh, you know, competing on a global stage. Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, the, the drone business, um, you know, I uh, don't know a whole lot about it, but um, I know that it's obviously a very hot area. And we're going to dig into, you know, some of that as far as especially, you know, competing and, and being a, a builder uh, here in the U.S. You know, U.S. made drones is obviously something that's really important. Um, for a lot of reasons, but let's start at the beginning. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how you got your start? Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of LA called Arcadia, and uh, it was a very safe place to grow up. Um, I have the great fortune of both my parents being executives since I could remember, where my mom was the vice president of Charo Community Development, which their goal and focus was to use federal and state funding to help people find jobs. And typically their, their focus was people of color, immigrants, first generation, second generation, who would like to create their own company, start their own business, provide a service. And they're just looking for that, that micro loan or that little bit of help of, you know, how do you run a business when you're in a foreign country and you don't understand U.S. laws, U.S. government, labor laws. And so they would help people with that transition. And my grandfather, Richard Amador, after uh, working for the White House, he created Charo. So he was the founder and CEO and the chairman. And so growing up in that environment of the our dinner table conversations were around the boardroom, running the company, challenges with staff and from my father's side he is one of the best critical thinkers and people that can have some very objective logic behind their decision making process and considering the empathetic as well as the objective logic behind a decision making process has really helped inform me from a very young age of you need to take into consideration other people's feelings, their perspective, uh, so that you can consider a decision from all aspects, not just a selfish perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's really great to, to understand, you know, kind of um, how you were shaped as a young person, right, by your, your parents and, and, and even your, you know, grandparents. Uh, so then... Um, you kind of got this uh, executive leadership um, training from a very young age. How about uh, college? Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you pursued and, and what that was like. Yeah. So in high school, I went to an all boys Catholic school called Cathedral College Preparatory just outside of downtown L.A., uh, right on the edge of Chinatown. And that's where I got 
the foundation and structure for being able to be a good writer and taking on a little bit more responsibility when it comes to time management. You know, I was not close to school. I played varsity tennis all four years. I failed miserably at trying to uh, be on the football team. I was not built for that. Um, And it's where I got my discipline. So then I thought I want to be a helicopter pilot that saves lives. So 16-year-old me thought, join the CIA and be a helicopter pilot there to get your hours and work experience uh, in a lot of different complicated roles and then use those hours and leverage it into becoming a, uh, you know, sort of the helicopter air ambulance where you get to land on the freeway and land in unusual places and fly people to the hospital. So that was like the dream job for 16-year-old Jake. So that meant going to Embry-Riddle because they had high-altitude helicopter flight training as a minor you could take, essentially, at Embry-Riddle and the overall degree program being aerospace studies, which is a non-technical business degree with a focus in aviation. Nice. So um, you go to school, uh, you know, studying, uh, you know, aeronautics, right, of, of some kind. Yeah, you study, um, you study aerospace, um, but it's really more, you know, you, you take all your normal classes for your general education, yeah. but every example is from an aerospace perspective. Yeah. So then you, you get out, and then what happens? How did you get your first job? So just to back up for a second, one of the cool things about going to Amber-Riddle is it's actually a top-tier engineering school. So you're surrounded by uh, people that want to join the Air Force, uh, some of the other branches of the military. So the ROTC programs there are pretty intense. And surprising enough, Embry-Riddle has the highest amount of pilot slots that get allotted to any university. Um, Wow. And at the time, it was even more than the Air Force Academy, which I found really surprising that this private university that most people have never heard of has the most Air Force pilots coming out of it. But um, so the conversations there, you know, to the outside might seem really nerdy, but it actually really helped inform me because I've always been in a highly technical engineering sales background while not being an engineer. So learning about CAD, modeling, engineering systems and programming and the mechanical engineering and mathematical perspectives that they take to approach uh, certain problems in the real world, that's the kind of conversations you have at Embry-Riddle. You know, you're always talking about aircraft and aircraft design and the mechanics behind it. So from that point, though, there's a funny story about how I went from Embry-Riddle to selling utility poles, which was there was an Air Force commissioning ceremony on campus And I wanted to see some of my friends get commissions. And so I, of course, did not plan and did not realize you had to be like on the list. So I show up and I just happen to have my friend's border collie and, you know, typical college student wearing my sunglasses. And they asked me if I had a ticket and I said, oh, no, you know, I didn't I didn't realize I had to have it. And I wasn't quite looking at the guy. And um, I told him I was blind and this was my uh seeing seeing eye assistant dog 
and all of a sudden, you know, you roll up the red carpet for the blind guy. And so they escort me to my seat and I happen to sit next to the CEO of RS Technologies. And so wow. he asks, you know, like, what's the deal? Like, why are you wearing sunglasses and what's up with the dog? And I said, oh, I didn't realize you needed like a ticket and an RSVP. So I just pretended to be blind. So in a couple of minutes, I'll take off the glasses. But I assume they're still <laughs> talking about the blind guy right now. So he just kind of shakes his head and laughs. And um, luckily, the Border Collie was being trained as a, um, a service dog for the sheriff's department. So it was extremely well trained. It just sat there looking at me. It didn't squirm or bark or yeah. you know, make any moves. So it, it acted the part. And uh, that worked out well. But that led into a conversation of hey, you know, you seem like an interesting kid, you know, to be able to on the fly realize that you had an obstruction and you had a goal and you figured, I have a dog and sunglasses, why don't I just pretend to be blind and they'll let me in and it worked. So he's like, I yeah. think a creative thinker like you would work well as a sales guy for me. I'm trying to build a U.S. sales team. Would you be interested in being the Southwest Regional Sales Manager for my company and I thought, wow, you know, talk about a leap and bound behind being the guy in the mailroom with a fresh degree. Go ahead and run the Southwest and work directly under the CEO. And so, of course, I leaped at the opportunity and made my first professional resume and let him know, hey, my graduation date is in two months. And uh, I would absolutely relish the opportunity. So it was a speedy process of, you know, hey, we're going to interview you, talk to some of our people, and off to the races. I was 22 years old at SDG&E for my first meeting, which is San Diego Gas and Electric, meeting with their engineering managers and the standards engineers who are making the decisions behind how to create a reliable electric grid. And here's little Jake selling them composite utility poles for fire mitigation and challenge applications where... Our poles were the only thing that they could carry in and make the grid a little bit more reliable. Yeah, so what what happened, you know, where did you pivot from the dream of, you know, flying helicopters to, you know, uh, being a sales guy? That's really interesting. You know, obviously, first of all, just the creativity of, uh, you know, how you uh, got into the commissioning um, ceremony and then meet the CEO and he identifies that you have, something right yeah and, you know, i'm sure he's been around plenty of successful salespeople and knew you had it um but before we talk more about sales just you know when did you make that decision to pivot yeah so it was it was not an easy decision to give up that dream but luckily about a year before that sort of fortuitous meeting with the ceo i was literally flying a helicopter thinking I don't think I want to do this. I don't think uh, flying a helicopter by yourself is really the dream job that I thought it was going to be. And I don't want to say it was boring, but it was not fulfilling uh, being in that cockpit anymore. And the fairy dust wore off and I started to think, okay, what's a more realistic um, career to have? And luckily that opportunity fell in my lap and... Um, I'm really glad it did because I found what's more fulfilling to me is 
seeing the light bulb turn on in people when they realize that, wow, this technology is going to like really help me. And they get all excited thinking of all the different ways that they can use this new technology to not just save money, but to like actually be a solution to something and to get rid of a problem while not taking on another problem. But uh, having that efficiency and watching people's light turn on and being that teacher who gets to show them a new technology, that to me is actually really fun and actually really fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly you're, you're a, a, a very extroverted person, right? You're a people person. And so I, I can see how being just, you know, alone in that cock, cockpit would uh, not be for you. Right. I mean, too much time alone. Uh, Cause I'm an extrovert as well. And, you know, that's not, that's not good for us. So it's uh, great that um, you made that decision. You honored that decision. So then you become a, a, a sales guy uh, for utility poles, and then what happens? Yeah, so one of the really fortunate things that I had going into the utility space was I was not alone. I had the perfect asset and inside man, which was my dad. He was the director of marketing at Burbank Water and Power. So I get to make the simple phone call of, hey, dad, I'm going to be working for this Canadian manufacturer selling utility poles you work at a utility. And so he gives me like what essentially the golden Bible, which is his directory for all the U S utilities. So I had a direct line to every director, engineering manager, standards, engineering director in the country. And I didn't have to do all this research. I got to just pick up the phone and call these people up say like, Hey, you know, I'm Jake. I work at RS. We have this really cool, composite utility pole. There's been no innovation in this space for over a hundred years. You know, do you want to come check it out? And almost hundred percent of the time, like, oh yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. You know, I'm the standards guy. I should probably know about a new technology. Uh, there is no new technology. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And then throughout those years at RS, I, he was always the person that I relied on to guide me and understand that, hey, you know, don't approach this as a sales guy. Approach this as like a consultant that's trying to help the utility. So take the time to understand their pain points, what they need, and never burn a bridge where you oversell and underprovide because this is a small space and you always want to have that consultative sales solutions approach over trying to meet some metric or, you know, having some boss telling you you need to make sales. Never fall into that trap. You know, this is a long career and a very small pool of people. And so yeah. I had the great fortune of learning that very early on. And uh, it served me extremely well. I always had very, very positive feedback while being the most incompetent person in the room. I at least worked the hardest to support them however I could. You know, I stayed late when uh, there, we would put polls in. I stayed until they basically kicked me out saying, you don't need to be here anymore. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that always went highly noticed that, hey, this guy like cares about, you know, that how this goes in and making sure things go right. And that if we have questions, he's always there. Yeah, what great advice your dad gave you. Um, you know, it's really interesting to, to hear Again, you know, from the beginning, how you were shaped and, and how your your parents, you know, obviously stayed very involved and, and um, 
you know, also though, there's, there's some level of, um, you know, uh, it's almost like it was meant to be, right? You you end up sitting next to the CEO. He's in the utility industry. Your dad's in the utility industry. And the really nice thing, and I love the correlation between what you're doing now from a technology perspective and even the technology of, you know, there's this new standard in the utility industry. Um, and so it was something that they needed to be interested in. And, and really the same thing's going on now. So it, you know, it's kind of right place, right time. Yes. Yes, I've been very good, whether by accident or on purpose, to ride the wave of the big new thing from an infrastructure standpoint, which most people don't look at uh, from the street view. But from an industrial perspective, I've done very well at staying ahead of the curve and riding the waves. Yeah. So that brings us to, you know, um, obviously you're you're in a in a a VP role, a leadership role now, um, you know, what, uh, before we get into that role, what really do you feel prepared you? Um, you know, obviously you've had sales success, uh, you know, um, and like you said, you've, you know, had, uh, good opportunities, ridden the wave. Um, what is it though that really prepared you, you know, for this leadership role, uh, as a VP of sales? Talk about a good question. Um, so that is a list of thousands of small things and observations through a 10 year sales career, right? So, um, one of the great things about a medium startup where they've already established their product and they, they kind of just need someone to go out there and pound the pavement is you have direct contact with the CEOs and typically the person who invented the product. So that gives you insight into the business as a whole rather than being employee number 70,000 and you're just getting handed marketing literature and you know how much you need to sell, but you're talking to the people who are passionate about like actually creating a viable company. And so you get, I, I got a lot of exposure into the decision-making process for the company as a whole rather than just hey, here's the tactics you need to implement as a salesperson, but rather here's the vision, go out there and just educate people on what our product does and how it can help them and just take into account you know, their specific need. And um, that gave me a pretty decent training ground, but now that I'm in an le- actual leadership role where it's up to me to make those decisions, I mean, talk about a lot of different emotions and stress, but luckily because you're able to spread your wings and be the person making those decisions, it's very exciting. And so I took time to call my parents again, always calling on them and also people in the industry that I know well enough, you know, you always kind of have your favorites where they're not really customers anymore. They're more friends. And I called them and let them know, like, hey, I'm at this drone company and I find myself in a position of an actual leadership role and at the sales role. And I'm trying to create a plan of success, but I'm also trying to get buy-in from our team. So that way I'm not handing out orders, but rather we're all working together towards this common goal. And what, it, what really informed that for me was my experience at Microdrones which was this big disconnect between the communication of the sales team and the management structure. 
And I started to see it at these other drone companies where the management structure and marketing would say, this is what our product does. But the engineers and the salespeople are saying, well, our customers wanted to do something else and our product actually does not do what our marketing says it does. And you started to see all these failed drone companies because of this huge divide between what the product could do, what marketing says it does, and what the management team is telling everybody the product should do, and really just not actually communicating well with the people who actually understood the product and its use cases. And so I took it as a, hey, you really need to communicate at the beginning with your engineering team, with your potential customers. And so that's where I start calling some of these industry leaders saying, hey, I don't want to be making these same mistakes and costing this company millions of dollars and having our you know, entire drone division fail. So I started asking them, what do you think our drones should do? This is a US-made drone. We want it to perform, we want it to be reliable, and we want you to actually like our product. So that's when I started getting wonderful feedback from across the industry. People from failed drone companies, people from government agencies, politicians, um, and all the way down to the lowly test pilots at some of these companies where, oh, yeah, management, they always, they screwed it up. We had this great product, but they screwed it all up. And so um, people have been very, very forthcoming and very helpful. So I really can't take credit. The only credit I can take is I'm very good at asking for help, not bringing ego into the equation too much. I do have a little bit of an overblown ego but I know when to put that in check and ask for help. And a lot of people are very willing to help a small US drone company that's trying to take on China, who's kicking our butt right now. And so, uh, you know, as the underdog, people have been very generous with their time and that has been gold for me from uh, a development standpoint. Yeah, and I really liked how you hit on the um, that disconnect that so often happens, right, between uh, engineering and operations and, you know, marketing um, and uh, letting and really spending the time to work through what should the messaging be. And I know one of the things that you mentioned to me prior to this, you know, kind of in our pre-interview um, was the importance of asking the customer what they want. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, engineers um, and really this is a human nature thing. Sometimes we get our own ideas about how something should be done uh, and we neglect to ask people what they want. Can you talk? I, I love the way that you framed that when we talked about it before. Yeah, absolutely. So because I came into high tech already having had experience from a pretty well-known drone company called Micro Drones. Um, I already had a lot of established relationships in the industry where I knew who the top domino customers were going to be from a marketing perspective of, hey, if you sell a drone to this agency and they scale out, that's going to make big news across the U.S. And so for us, that's that's Caltrans, some big, some big government agencies throughout uh, the West Coast and the East Coast, like uh, NASA and NOAA, Homeland Security Agency. But um, there's also some big mining companies out there where they are the industry leader when it comes to drones and pre-vetting drone technology. 
And if they say something works and they like it, hundreds of other people will buy that product where, hey, that person's done the vetting. They give the stamp of, okay, we're going to buy it. They just simply just copy paste the standard. And um, knowing who those customers are and having worked with them prior, I was able to just call them up, you know, hey, Chris, hey, I'm over here and I'm trying to do something cool. And, you know, before we release this to the public, you know, you're in charge of drone technology and vetting. So I figured, hey, you know, let's let's partner up. I'm going to show you our drone, how it is today. We're adding some engineers. And before we release this to the public, I want your input. I want to know how you think the drone should operate that benefits you the most because everyone follows you. You know, Caltrans is the top cream of the crop when it comes to a Department of Transportation. Everybody just copy paste what you do. So he he was really nice about it and said, yeah, you know, we'll come down to San Diego. We'll check out your drones and uh, we'll bring the local guys and um, I'll basically give you a list of what we think your drone should do. And I just convey that to my team. Hey, the biggest agency in California, this is how they think our drone should operate. Maybe we should design it that way. <laughs> and, uh, hey, you know, who's going to say no to that? And right. you asked the largest mining company in the United States, hey, I know you're trying to replace these old DJIs and you have some issues finding a replacement. Tell me what you want and I'll make it. So it'll be a custom drone to you, but we'll release it to the public so that everybody can take advantage of uh, a purpose-built drone for the mining space. Yeah, very cool. Um, so what are the challenges now? I mean, you're in the seat and, uh, you know, the, the company is, uh, you know, rapidly growing and, and um, you know, you have these, this Chinese competition. And, and I know that you said, you know, recently some really exciting things have been happening around, you know, the development of, you know, new features and functionality. So just give us a window into, you know, kind of what's going on and what's next. Oh yeah. It's very easy for me to gripe about the challenges that I'm facing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, one of the most important things from an internal perspective is getting buy-in from the engineering team. That is absolutely vital. And we have to hire about 10 engineers right now. And one of the difficulties is Engineers right now, what the market rate is, is a very hard thing to identify for us right now because being located in San Diego, you have these big companies like Amazon that have some new drone initiatives and they have some new products that they're coming out with. So they're able to offer their engineers between 200000 and 300000 and some very, very attractive um, beginning offers. And there's companies out there like Google X who are offering their people, you know, shares in the company. And we just don't have that as a small drone company, right? So when you know that above a certain amount, you're just going to run out of cash in six months, how do you staff quickly, effectively, and make sure that your development plan is balanced with your staffing plan and that me the person at the head seat to make sure that sales come in, you know, I need to make sure that all of that is balanced and that I don't get influenced by the stress of that by trying to push a product that's not ready. So being able to have that patience to not go after some of the easy sales that 
would really actually damage us in the long end for scaling up. Um, that's a pretty big challenge right now. Just finding engineers that you can hire for $150,000. You know, you didn't think that uh, you'd have to hire $2 million of payroll for 10 people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like really expensive now. And that perspective has really informed my decision-making tree where I thought I came in just to sell drones, but now I'm having to take on, you know, what the balance is between staffing. It's not a choice. So, you know, I'm not saying I don't want to give you 200,000 in options. I just, we just can't, man. Like we can only offer you so much so that we have a chance to actually be profitable. And so that's, that's yeah. my new perspective. Well, and I think it's really wise. Um, as a salesperson, I learned the same thing, right? It's, um, you, you only sell to the people that can really benefit from uh, your product or service. And, and there's um, a maturity of any organization that has to happen in order to, uh, you know, be able to deliver on promises. And so uh, I think that's going to, um, you know, pay dividends for you and uh, help with the sustainability of, you know, your company and your, you know, career in, you know, making sure that you, you uh, get there at the right pace. And I think the other thing that you're talking about too is really interesting, right? So uh, the grass isn't always greener, um, you know, working for Google, working for Amazon, you know, uh, typically when, when someone's paying you that kind of money, there also, there's going to be demands um, in politics and, you know, working for these huge corporations that you so there's a lack a lot of times of flexibility and, and things that, I would think these engineers are going to get in working for your company. And also, so it's having the influence um, and flexibility and freedom that I would think would attract people to uh, your company over, you know, some of these other companies. Yeah. I had a really great interview um, about two days ago with a kid from Amazon and he worked at a specific lab, right? So they're working on a very specific project. And he was in the exact position you're talking about where, hey, I was attracted to the big name and the big money, but man, am I unhappy. I am so unhappy working at Amazon. The, the leadership structure, the, de the high demands, the, the lack of direction. And for engineers, when they, when they see so much inefficiency, from an operation standpoint, it just irks them, right? Almost like an OCD person where they see things out of place. I feel like engineers have a very similar feeling of unease when they see all this big inefficiency. And so what I was able to offer this engineer, he was just in love with, which was, hey, I am running the drone division. And the way I'm trying to run this drone division is a collaboration with engineering and sales where I'm really relying on your expertise to really own what you're doing. I can't hire five software engineers. I can hire two, right? The senior and the regular. And so I need to rely on you. We need to collaborate and you're going to be able to spread your wings. This is not a top-down organization. This is all just us working towards the goal of making a great US made drone. And so he was like, wow, what a breath of fresh air that you actually want to like communicate with engineering 
you're not just barking orders at us. Like, make it do this and make it do that. Uh, trying to appease every whim of some phone call you just had. And um, unfortunately, that's kind of been the trend in the drone industry is everybody at the, trying to adapt to the sales team saying like, hey, I got this big agency. They said they want this. And the engineers are looking at them like, oh, you don't understand our product. <laughs> and um, so anyways, after the meeting, I go over to the engineering department and one of our uh, software engineers says, man, like I wanted to quit and join that company. That sounded great. You know, like, yeah, yeah. So they, uh, they were really excited that I came on uh, a couple of months ago and really, really, I'm really passionate about just creating a good product and working with our engineers rather than just telling them what I need and giving them these impossible tasks, you know? So you are exactly right. People do not, are not happy at some of these big companies with these big dollars and are willing to take a pay cut so that they can have some quality of life and work towards a common goal and actually see how the fruits of their labor are working in the real world. Because a drone is a tangible thing. You know, it's not like these software companies out there where, hey, thanks for the, the efficiency. We saved so many millions this year. <laughs> I mean, what fun is that? So you don't get to see the yeah. of your labor through there. So that's a cool part about the drone industry. You get to see the fruits of your labor actually working through a tangible product and getting that feedback from the real world is, is really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And I, and I just think you're, you're onto something um, that's very important and very powerful, which is breaking down those walls and, you know, making sure that you keep collaboration with engineering a priority and really embracing them and saying to them, hey, I'm here to help you, right? Um, and I need your help uh, in order to make this thing work and in order to sell it. Um, so uh, before we go, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you like to do in your free time. I realize you're passionate and love what you do. And you're in a seat now where I'm sure you're working long hours. But, um, you know, we all got to uh, have things that kind of rejuvenate and refresh and re-energize us. So what's that for you? Yeah. So funny enough, the day before I started at high tech, which was the day I moved to San Diego, the first thing I did before I even checked into my hotel was I went to Coronado Island. They have the uh, Coronado Tennis Center and it's the most beautiful public court I've ever played at. And a friend of mine grew up on Coronado, so I knew of the courts. And I went in and I said, hey, you know, I, I would really love to get back into tennis. It's it's my um, sort of passion sport that I just love. I, I could play until my legs break. And um, so sure enough, I found a couple groups of people, some locals that play all the time, and they welcomed me like family. And uh, I play there three times a week. And everybody at High Tech knows when it's tennis day like today because I wear my tennis outfit all day because I'm just so excited that as soon as you know the clock strokes 5 30 I'm in my car on my way to go play tennis and they'll see me eating bananas and downing water all day just getting ready to go play I mean it, I put a lot of time and energy and focus into making sure that my body has everything it needs so it can survive two hours of tennis and I'd say it takes me maybe five minutes to not think about work and to put all of my love and focus and attention into my, my passion sport of tennis 
and uh, it's great. I mean, I'm totally rejuvenated despite coming home in pain, drenched in sweat, and I can barely walk because I'm 32, and, you know, I work in an office, and I'm in, you know, I'm not in Federer top shape, right? So yeah. uh, despite all that pain, I go back for more every time. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm so excited to hear that you've continued to, to uh, participate in tennis because it was, you know, a passion of yours as a teenager, and here you are still still pursuing it. And I could tell, too, right when you started talking about it, you know, you lit up and um, uh, so important and that you're making it a priority, right? I mean, yes. you have a day that is tennis day. Oh, yeah. Mo really Monday, Wednesday, Saturday is tennis day. So, you know, sorry if you're trying to make an appointment or you have something important, but it's more important to me that I go play tennis that day. Yeah, um, oh, that's great, so, man. Well, hey, Jake, yeah. oh, go ahead. Um, something I just wanted to add, which I think is yeah. somewhat unique that my friends always comment on, is after college, your friends move across the United States. And at Embry-Riddle, most of your friends go into the Air Force. At least for me, that's how it was. And so I've spent you know, 10 years taking advantage of when you're in a sales career, you travel across the country. So whenever I know I'm going to a city, I try to reconnect with my friends. And it's been really great where uh, last, last summer, I spent two months in Montana taking advantage of COVID, visiting with friends, um, exploring a new state. I fell in love with Montana. I can't wait to go mm -hmm. back every spring now. And um, as I travel the country, you know, I, I'm not just staying in the hotel by myself, but I'm reconnecting with friends from high school and college and old teachers and that has served me really well, actually, of just maintaining your group of friends, you know, despite COVID. I am on the phone at night talking with people I haven't talked to in a long time, you know, cousins, family members, making sure you take the time to, like, check in on them and just see how they're doing and just have a 30-minute 30 30 conversation with a cousin you only see at Christmas. And um, it has helped me enrich my life from a personal and a professional standpoint where I just have a better life because I make sure to take some time every day or every couple of days to call someone that you wouldn't normally call. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think that's so important. You know, it, it's so easy to lose track of uh, those important connections and to reach out, right? To be the one who's making the effort. I know that's something I want to get better at. And I've, I, uh, really admire the fact that you're doing that. And I think that's so powerful too. Um, and I think COVID did uh, kind of wake us all up to, you know, the importance of um, being intentional about our relationships and also how we spend our time. And I, I like how you said, you know, rather than spend time in a hotel, I spend time with, uh, you know, and, and stay with people that I've known for a long time and that I want to reconnect with. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, that's how I wanted to end today. You know, if, if you learn anything from, from my experience, call a family member, call a friend that you haven't talked to in a while and just see how they're doing. Check it on their life and uh, it'll make your life better. I promise you. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a common thread through everything you've said, which I think is so awesome. It's family, right? It's family, it's relationships and even the relationships that, you know, in business, right? I mean, that collaboration, that perspective that you have offered relative to, asking the customer what they want, right? 
and then talking with engineering um, and making sure that they understand that they, that you're there to help them, right? I mean, what I hear you saying a lot is, you know, that you're a servant leader, right? You're you're there. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, you'll know when it's time to lead, and and you're gonna lead. You know, you're not gonna have any problem there. But at the same time, you want to compromise. You want to reach out. You want to build bridges. And it's really cool to hear, you know, these this theme or these themes that uh, you know are running through your personal and professional life. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, this has been a very enjoyable experience for me. So, thank you for having me on. Uh, feel free to call me anytime, and uh, you know, I can't wait to see what unfolds for both of us in the future. Yeah, for sure. So, Jake, how can what's the easiest way for people to find you? I'd say professionally, LinkedIn. I, it's pretty safe to say I'm on there every day, at least checking to see what's going on in the drone industry. I'm always afraid to see DJI coming out with something new, like they just did a couple of weeks ago, or, um, uh, you know, seeing what friends are up to changing jobs, that kind of thing. Cause I want to see, Oh, they're in this city. I should probably give them a call next time I'm in, I'm in Denver, but, uh, yeah. yeah, that's the best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Uh, you just search Jake Flores and I'll, I'll show up. Great. All right, Jake. Well, thank you so much. Jake Flores from High Tech Commercial Solutions, um, VP of Sales in the Drone Division. Great talking with you. So glad you took the time and look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks. Thanks.